This podcast is produced by the Center for Deployment Psychology at the Uniformed Services University of the Health Sciences. The views expressed are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Uniformed Services University, the Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. In addition, references to any specific companies, products, processes, or services does not necessarily constitute or imply endorsement by the Uniformed Services University, the Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. Welcome to CDP's podcast, Practical for Your Practice. We give you actionable intel to support what you do. One colleague to another. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Practical for Your Practice. I'm Dr. Kevin Holloway. I am a director of training and education here at CDP. And I'm joined, as always, by Dr. Andy Santanello. Hey, Andy. Hey, Kevin. How's it going? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Great. We've got with us also some uh, special guests today. We've got Dr. William Brim, Dr. Bill Brim, who is our executive director at CDP, and Dr. Andrea Israel. So these are internal guests, if you will. These are folks who are with us at CDP, but they've been involved in some really cool stuff we're hoping to talk about today. Um, Bill, Andrea, anything you want to say? Hey, guys. It's uh, great to join you. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, of course. We're excited to have you on. There's There's been... I guess as I'm thinking about kind of the topic today, there's there's been a lot of turmoil in the world, you know, and from from all different kinds of sources. Um, and I think that impacts each of us as providers, as clinicians, as we're thinking of working with folks and, you know, the stresses on them, the stresses on ourselves. And in, in some ways, you know, I, I think about what we're going to be talking about today really kind of uh, impacts that, you know, maybe as a special case, but but certainly something I think is relevant to everybody. So Bill, maybe first you can tell us a little bit about, you know, what the project that you, have Andrea, you and Andrea have been involved in. I think it's with the UNM and SFI. Tell us a little bit about how you got involved. Yeah, sure. Um, this is a great opportunity. I think you mentioned that kind of the world being in turmoil and, you know, CDP started when, the world was in a little bit of turmoil um, with a mission to train behavioral health providers to work in a wartime environment. And over the last almost 20 years, we continue to do that and we continue to work with military behavioral health providers, uh, but our programs have also evolved. And so this was an interesting opportunity to, I guess, get back to our roots, if you will, um, and to really think about how at, we as behavioral health providers can support not only other behavioral health providers, but medical providers, healthcare providers in general, when they are in working in a wartime environment. And so to answer your question, it came about because of relationships that we have with um, the Air Force and uh, with our sister center at the Uniform Services University, the Center for the Study of Traumatic Stress, um, the University of New Mexico's ECHO Project folks, as well as the folks at the Swiss Foundation for Innovation had um, put together an eight-week, 16-session ECHO training for pre-hospital providers working in the Ukraine. Mm. And these were first responders, nurses, physicians, um, emergency room folks, uh, that kind of thing. Um, and I think, Andrea, it was maybe a week and a half before the first session kicked off that they <laughs> said, you know what, we should, 
the the training was designed to to address medical issues um, in in a pre-hospital environment. And um, at the last minute, they said, you know, we should probably include some mental health stuff. So they reached out to the Air Force, they reached out to CSTS, they reached out to the center, um, and so our collaboration kind of started there in a in a whirlwind of, you know, what are we going to teach? And that's how we got started. Well, you mentioned the ECHO project, the, the UNM or University of New Mexico ECHO project. Andrea, what is that? Like, I, I, I know we've got a lot of acronyms bouncing around here, a lot of like <laughs> this project, that project. Can you kind of center us a little bit? Tell us what, what it is you guys have been up to and what the ECHO project is and, and how you've been involved. I'd like to yeah. echo Kevin's question. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> well played. So actually the University of New Mexico is really the, or the group that really started Project ECHO. So okay. it started with the idea that there was a physician at the University of New Mexico and he specialized in a particular way of treating folks. And what he was finding is that by the time folks came to him, they were too far along in the disease for him to be as helpful as he wanted to be. And when mm -hmm. he kept digging down into why, they said, well, you're one of the few people in this whole state that can help me out. And so what I realized is we've got to find another way to get people who maybe have the capacity to treat certain illnesses to get up to speed to be able to do that. And he went back to how did I get trained as a physician? And he realized, well, grand rounds is a great way that we do it. But how do we do that when people are so geographically dispersed? So what he put together was really a tele-mentoring, tele-education model is the way mm -hmm. he likes to think about it. And his whole goal is a multiplier effect to take people who have the ability to become better at a particular skill or more knowledgeable and to find a way for them to learn from other people who are already doing it, who are current experts. So it's this hub and spoke model where you use a tele-delivery system, usually a, mm -hmm. a video conference of some kind, and you have a hub of experts who put together some information on a particular topic that could help other providers in a geographically dispersed area become more uh, capable of being able to engage with that content. But it also uses usually a case consultation model as well, very much like a grand rounds where someone in the spokes presents a case and then they get the ability for the experts on the hub as well as other people in the other spokes to give some feedback on what they might be able to do. So the idea is that you're, you're learning in real time with real clients and patients. Um, and I think the reason they thought about ECHO for this particular group is that they found themselves suddenly thrust into a situation where they needed to quickly get up to speed on how do you deliver yeah. pre-hospital care? And, and they weren't expecting to need to do it. And one of the things that happened very quickly is they realized there's a lot more to this than medical trauma. There's mental yeah. health trauma as yeah. well. And so they... University of New Mexico ECHO model, the idea here was, well, could we find a collection of experts, people who could really speak to this and get them in contact with people in a completely different part of the world yeah. and allow for them to learn from them, but learn from them in, in the moment of when they need this information, not necessarily ahead of time or preventatively, but because right now they need to actionably do something different than they've been doing. Yeah. So different than a CE model in that you know, you're just kind of keeping up on skills or collecting credits or whatever to, to talk to a licensing agency. But, you know, this is, as you said, I mean, it strikes me that this is really kind of the what is needed right now, just in time, you know, kind of a model. And 
just how much, you know, kind of consulting on cases, talking about real situations is so important too. It reminds me of just, we've talked about consultation on the, the podcast before and, and how important that is. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's one of the things that I was really thinking about that, uh, you know, this model is a, it sounds like a, it's qualitatively different in a lot of the ways yeah. to the way that we, we train. Um, even sort of the idea of you go to an intensive workshop and then you have a follow-on consultation. Um, I really love the practical applicability. You have people who are doing this work um, and able to offer their expertise and their thoughts in real time uh, to people who are going to use that information right away. Yeah. I was really curious to hear about some of the specific content areas. You, you mentioned that one of the things that was started to be noticed is that this wasn't just medical issues that needed to be attended to. There was a lot of psychological issues, trauma issues to be attended to. What, what are some of the specific content areas um, that have been developed for this project? It was interesting. So again, they had a whole curriculum set up and they had invited presenters to talk about things like, you know, ABC and how to deal with uh, chest injuries, extremity injuries, blast, crush, burn, you know, see Bernie types of issues. So they had a whole agenda set up. And, and as we alluded to, they kind of asked us to, to step in um, with some mental health content. So we, the first thing we did was looked at, you know, are there parallel mental health content that could be applied to each of those medical areas? And mm. so we were able to align with some of those. So, um, we talked about, um, uh, they had a, they had a topic on amputation, for example. And so we talked about, you know, kind of the behavioral health side of amputation, um, you know, field amputation in particular and, and, and its impact on, you know, on the, on the providers themselves, the, the pre-hospital providers, uh, and things to think about. So we had things like that, that lined up. Um, but the, we came kind of out of the gate right away with this concept that, okay, we're working, we're training these pre-hospital folks how to work with their patients, but at the same time, we're also working with them yeah. and how they can handle the situations they're in. So, um, so we kind of took that approach. So we came out of the gate with talking about psychological first aid, which is a tool that they can use you know, kind of in the field uh, with their patients and with the, the folks that are impacted. Um, but we also talked about how it applies to them. Yeah. Right. And so we, we had topics like uh, psychological first aid. We, uh, we covered provider resilience. Um, we talked about sleep um, again, primarily as an issue for the providers themselves, less than uh, for their patients um, and things like that. Um, Andrea, other topics that, you know, come to mind for you that were like really powerful. Yeah. One of the things that I'm not sure I expected was how many questions they had about kids and families um, mm -hmm. and how important it was for them. And, you know, for those of us who've done any work as military psychologists or in environments where perhaps we're supporting the, supporting the warfighter, it, it struck us part of the reason they're asking for that is that they're kind of going through this 
with their families and they're trying to figure out how to keep their families together right. um, and address these issues with their kids. But also their patients were sort of unexpected for them too. Um, sometimes they were um, civilians who had gotten hurt. And so now all of a sudden they're trying to figure out, well, what are the special needs of that subset of the population? Um, so even on topics where, you know, we sort of thought we understood what they might need or want, we were sort of surprised sometimes by the nature of the questions and and how um, kind of close to home they were a lot. And, and also, I agree with you, Bill, completely, how much it was a little bit about what are they going to do? How are they going to get themselves through this situation as much as how are they going to help their patient get through the situation? Yeah, that strikes me that it, it, it isn't just you know, little CE bits, we're talking about like providers who are right in the same, you know, turmoil and potential trauma that their, their clients, their patients are as well. And so it's, I, I love that dual focus, focusing on, you know, what are your, your patients need and even who they are, but how do you care for yourself? How are you going to get through this? How are you going to be, you know, able to meet those needs of your clients if you're also, you know, dealing with that same turmoil? Yeah, it was, it was really brought home for us, like on, on two occasions um, that come to mind immediately for me. One, um, uh, we had one of the sessions that was interrupted kind of repeatedly because of air raid sirens wow. um, and, and, you know, kind of the audience would drop off and then, you know, kind of come back again. And then um, even more powerful to me, um, there was a bombing um, one morning before our session of a uh, medical center that involved a medical center that was um, where a lot of our attendees worked. Hmm. And so it kind of directly impacted them. And it was, you know, we went ahead with the session that afternoon um, and, and had good attendance, but it was really palpable and powerful that, you know, this is their lived existence, not something they're just kind of doing and then, you know, kind of going home and, and they're safe at home. Yeah. Did I you have did you make any adjustments to like what you were planning to talk about that day in response to that? Yeah, we, we definitely made sure we made space to honor what was going on, um, to comment on it and to uh, express we're there with them in spirit and we're thinking mm -hmm. about them. Um, but a lot of times we backed off the intensity a little bit of what we were planning to say. We found it another way to say it or we would decide just to do part of the presentation. Um, there, there was one time they actually, it, usually the medical piece would go first and then we would go next. Uh, I believe on the day where the that bombing happened, they actually had us go first um, so that we had the ability to come in as the, the group that was being thoughtful about their own psychosocial emotional needs right now yeah. um, and those around them. Um, and, and then kind of entered from there into the medical topic. And, and some of it too, was because these folks were learning how to handle medical trauma. And so it's graphic images, it's graphic right. content. And so it's already hard to learn about how to treat a burn injury or how to, you know, conduct an amputation in the field. Um, so it was difficult content anyways, I think yeah. for them. Yeah. Um, so it, it was a fine line between making sure that they could get what they need. That's why they're attending and they need the information, but being very savvy about, or as much as we could, what they're going through and are they really prepared for it in this moment? We actually, over time, changed what we were doing to include the presenters to give a heads up before they presented graphic content 
um, mm -hmm. in part for that reason. You know, these are not folks who are in a normal environment. They're folks who are exposed to a, a very difficult combat exposed situation. And, and they we needed to be sensitive to the fact that they might need a little bit more of a heads up to be prepared to see this and to grapple mm -hmm. with it than someone who's in a a hospital setting um, in a country that's not in conflict. You know, those are really, uh, I think, interesting modifications and they make a lot of sense. And it sounds like those, you know, sometimes I think of intervention as assessment and assessment as inter intervention. It sounds like you learned some things as you were kind of doing these trainings. And I was curious, did you learn anything else about what providers who are trying to learn these skills, what they need to cope? I mean, were they helpful in um, sharing their experience? And did that sort of change anything else about either the content you were presenting or the way you were presenting it? I, I can share um, just the thought that comes to mind. I think um, mental health content was an afterthought. I mean, I think they all admitted that at the beginning. Um, and by the end, um, it was clear that you know, not, not, not because it was more important, but that I think um, because these were mostly medically trained folks, some of the medical content at least wasn't new to them. Um, they had yeah. at least been trained in ABC. They'd been trained in you know, this. Some of this wasn't new. It was now applicable on a day-to-day -day basis, but it wasn't really new. And the mental health part for a lot of them was new. And they really engaged, I felt like they engaged more strongly with us in our little 10 to 15 minute piece sometimes than they did um, for, um, you know, for the, uh, you know, for the, for the other part. Yeah, it, you know, it strikes me as you're saying that, and as Andrea, as you were talking about some of the the topics that you were thinking about too, or it, I, I guess in my mind it was this kind of this a bit of an epiphany that very often when we think about tragedy or or combat or trauma or other things, in my head I've got you know first responders, medical personnel, we've got survivors, we've got behavioral health providers, and we're kind of all doing our own thing, and there's especially in this case, you've got so much overlap on all those where, you know, the providers, the first responders, the medical personnel are also experiencing those same things. And, you know, that there's, it, there's not the clear separation and maybe there never was, maybe that is, you know, kind of an uh, awakening for me, but. That, that's a great point. And you know, one of the things that was, it, it kind of brings a lot of this together. One of our topics was grief. And yeah. at first, we were looking at it thinking, well, it's, it's obviously not a throwaway topic, but you know, what are we really going to do something new or meaningful in 10 minutes on grief that these folks haven't heard before? And what we got back was it was so much more powerful than we the content was. It wasn't us, right? It was the content because yeah. they didn't ever get actually introduced to grief as a concept or even the fact that it's normal. Absolutely. And that, and that you can't prevent it. And actually trying to prevent it could create concern. <clears throat> and one of the things that really was probably one of the biggest messages for me from the whole experience was not to minimize the value of these even brief snippets to yeah. other folks, especially our multidisciplinary colleagues. One of the people who had presented on the day where we had done the presentation on grief stayed afterwards in the after action to talk. 
and just said, you don't understand how powerful it was for me to finally feel unburdened that I'm not supposed to keep people from feeling sad. Yeah. And, and that I'm not supposed to fix this grief. And I've been carrying this around for 20 years, thinking that I wasn't doing it right. And it really struck us that these things that we sort of take for granted sometimes as mental health providers, because we talk about it all the time, are, are newer things to these folks who are medical colleagues, um, like Bill mentioned. Um, and, and it really resonated with them, perhaps because it was newer, um, but also because they maybe needed it more than they knew um, yeah. in order to feel yeah. well-rounded as a provider because they are taking care of the whole person, whether they're they're thinking of it that way or not. I think that applies to us mental health providers though too. I think sometimes we get into this track where we think that our job as a mental health provider is to make sure that our clients aren't feeling uncomfortable feelings. Like we help them get past them somehow rather than that it's okay and normal to feel them too. And it's for us too, it's okay for us as mental health providers to be uncomfortable and to feel feelings as well. You know, I know that's kind of been a theme over many of our episodes is just that it's it's okay to sit in that discomfort too. It, it um, it, it, you know, it, it, it strikes me uh, as just really powerful that you were able to create a space for these providers to even acknowledge right. Not only just get to the place where they could sort of realize their job wasn't to fix grief or fix sadness or fix that sense of horror that might come up when they're, but just to create a space to have that conversation. I think just culturally speaking, um, you know, I was having a conversation recently uh, with with some some good friends. My my cat passed away a couple of weeks ago. Um, Eighteen years, Mr. Duncan, we miss him. But we were having a conversation about grief and. Uh, you know, just even you think about culturally, we we set aside what you get like a day or two off of work. Right, right. If that's a close family member, you know, um, now there's even a diagnosis in the DSM about uh, when grief becomes pathological. Um, but it's not at all related to context or reality, you know. So, right. you know, I'm, I'm imagining what it must be like to be working in um you know, Ukraine, seeing all these horrific injuries, seeing these people have lost families. Um, and, and like the implication being that sadness is not okay, or there's a specific amount of time or intensity of that mm -hmm. feeling that's okay. So this is a very long winded way of saying, <laughs> like, in, in hindsight, of course, this makes complete sense that even just creating the space would be useful. And I, I think that's maybe one of the um, you know, maybe one of the things that we don't do well enough um, or our field could maybe offer other fields is to create the space to normalize. Like if you're a human being, you're going to have emotions. And especially if you're dealing with really difficult things, despite the role you might be in, those emotions are going to show up. Well, I, I think, and I, I, first of all, sorry for your loss. Um, I think this came up actually in one of the, um, echo sessions as well that, um, you know, uh, with pets and grieving about pets and, and, you know, there's just, there's just no end to the grief that, that uh, some folks are being exposed to in the Ukraine and, and just kind of, I, I think like Andrea said, just giving space to acknowledge that for themselves, uh, but also, you know, the knowledge to not necessarily pathologize the normal grieving process. And, and what I was going to say is that, you know, as, as we all know, um, 
trauma is the same way. You know, when you're exposed to a traumatic event, it's normal to have some response, um, and and just to you know just to normalize that and not pathologize that. I think was helpful for them to hear not only in their patients um, but also for themselves. And because one of the things that one of the major threads that we hit pretty much every single session was the importance of kind of debriefing and self-aid buddy care. No matter what we talked about, no matter it was patient focused or more uh, provider focused, every time we talked, we, we talked about the importance of talking. <laughs> Can I say talking more, yeah. more, more times in one sentence? Um, you know, just the importance <laughs> of, of having those um, conversations and, and to building them into their processes so that right. everybody's involved in talking about every uh, situation, whether it's kind of a, a, an outbrief at the end of every you know, work day or work session, or whether it's um, if there's a particularly traumatic event that everybody's in, involved in every debriefing, um, I think was a really a common thread that we hit on for that, for that reason. I agree. And I, I don't know about you, Bill, but I felt that real sense of relief that we gave them per, kind of given permission to be normal human beings who are also providers amidst this and to be okay with having a reaction to the things that they saw or experienced and to give themselves room to talk about it without it, like you said, being pathological, we totally normalized it. And there was a real sense of exhale that this was okay removing that additional burden like if you're going to do hard things that's hard enough but then experiencing them as hard is okay you don't have to also not experience hard right. things as not being hard which is a huge gift and i think that's again sort of baked into a lot of those professional identities and roles we carry around i feel like we've almost answered the question i'm about to ask kind of in the conversation so far but but just for i don't know the elephant in the room for the maybe the playing the devil's advocate bill i mean you you referenced you know grief doesn't really have an end we've talked about some really monumentally you know difficult traumatic experiences here can you can you speak a little bit about you know the, you, you guys were talking about presenting 10 minute chunk of kinds of things like what can you effectively do how how can training be effective or useful for these monumentally important topics and and impacts on people in 10 minutes you know, we're, we're at CDP, we're used to a model that's very different where we, we can drone on for days and days. And I'm not even kidding about that. And, you know, and here we've got this model where we're going to be your diatribes on, oh my uh, gosh, it's on hot spots, Kevin, we, we, we know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's actually one of the things Andrea and I talked about a lot was just how powerful by being so specific uh, some of the learning was right. So yeah. you're going to learn when something, you know, kind of when you're in extremis, when you're in that situation, um, you're, I think, I think you're more open because you're experiencing it. You're more open to, you know, detailed, specific, tangible uh, learning tidbits, I guess. Um, and so, you know, we call it just in time training, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, it was, it seemed to be much more palpable to them and more immediately useful to them because of the situation they were in. We were kind of forced, like, I, again, like you said, I, you know, in, we could have gone on for days on pretty much right. any one of these topics. And it was interesting that by being forced into 10 to 15 minutes, I think it made our content more valuable 
because we had to be so concise and it was so specific to the situation that they're in right now. Like they were leaving the, the, the training, the session and going and using what we were taught teaching right that minute. Right. You know? And that, that was, a, that was really, I think helpful for them, but it was really a, an, a, a powerful, um, rich learning experience for us as well. I agree because one of the things that we had to challenge ourselves to do was to say with this really big topic, what are the one or one or two things? Yeah. How do you distill that, that down? Right. How do you, right. And it was very interesting for us to take the time to prepare each of these, to reflect together. What, what could someone in this environment do really related to this really large topic because you also want them to feel a sense of empowerment that we haven't just told you about something really hard. We, we've given you something tangible that you can take and do. Um, and that was one of the things we really tried to hone in on was not getting lost in the weeds about theory or what is this or what mm -hmm, does the research mm -hmm. say, but letting all that inform what we said were the one or two take home pieces that you really can apply to your practice, as Bill said, just in time, right? Just in the moment as you walk out the door from this training. And, and as an added layer, you know, it, it was more than just, we had 10 or 15 minutes. We had to talk really slowly um, because, and concisely because everything we said was being translated. So most people were hearing what we were saying from a Ukrainian translator. Um, so it, it, you know, it really forced us to, you know, kind of really boil it down to what are the most essential, essential pieces. And on a personal note, it was really fun for me because I took four years of Russian in, in uh, college. Oh, cool. and Russian is very different from Ukrainian, but it's, I, I recognize many of the letters. <laughs> Let me put it that way. <laughs> Very important. Yeah. Well, you mean that really people who are familiar with, with the podcast, who have listened to any of our episodes, we know we like to kind of end on really just that, right. Is, is what are those distillable bits? Those, that, that actionable Intel is what we call it. Those practical tips for how you can apply something, go use it right now as you're, you know, leaving, listening here. So what, what practical tips, what actionable Intel do you all have for our listeners based on what you learned through this, this work? I was I was actually joking that you know what we had done is we had distilled it down to what was practical for their practice, right? Right. And right. So so <laughs> you know so it ties in, right? You know I think one big thing for me was thinking about we have something to contribute, right? Hmm. That 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 you know we don't always see that we have something to contribute. Maybe to medical providers, maybe medical providers aren't always thinking that they have something to learn, but I think it was a very valuable experience um, for me to think about um, how we can, how we can contribute and, and, and how appreciative they were. Um, so I, I think mm -hmm. one takeaway, you know, for me is I've been, a have been a practitioner in kind of a rural area in the past where you're sort of in some ways a, a jack of all trades. And if there's an issue, somebody's going to come to you and say, Hey, can you come and talk to first responders about this topic? Or, you know, and sometimes you feel like you may not be able to contribute, or maybe you don't have two hours worth the knowledge about this topic, but that if they're asking you for something, use your knowledge and your experience and, and, and be willing to be concise and not 
you know, you know, need to walk in the door and create a, you know, one to two hour CE PowerPoint presentation right. that, that we have stuff to contribute to, to this population. And that's so relevant to, you know, especially we're, we're still going through this, this pandemic. We still have medical providers of, of all types and first responders who are, they themselves in the thick of another terribly distressing, you know, turbulent times. I think that's, you know, equally relevant for any of us that are not providers in the Ukraine or anywhere else where, you know, there's combat happening too. Put Andrea on the spot <laughs> and just ask, you know, you, you mentioned a lot of really, I think, powerful and useful lessons learned when you were kind of discussing the content areas and how you might've modified the training and things you learned and what was most powerful and the feedback you got from participants about what was most powerful. Do you have any uh, little bits of actionable Intel that might be useful for our listeners if they're going to be, I guess we're talking about actionable Intel for providing, you know, guidance consultation to, uh, to other, you know, practitioners who, who might need our services. So anything that you might offer for, uh, our listeners who might be doing some of that work. Bill gave a great synopsis about, first of all, we have value to give to other disciplines. And the second part that we can do it in microbursts, right? Micro learning, you know, portions, uh, and that that is really powerful. I think the, the other piece that we really tried to apply to this situation though, was to listen to the nature of the questions themselves and to never forget the provider as part of it. And to remember that, yes, we wanna give them information for the work they're doing with others, but to forget they need to take care of themselves too. And that they might not have had the same experience that maybe some of us did about the importance of monitoring your own well-being and how that could influence, for example, a therapeutic space, right? And so, but, but they do need an ability and some time to be thoughtful about their own needs and taking care of themselves. And that might be another maybe influence that we could have in the conversation if it naturally comes up. I love it. So, you know, don't forget yeah. that you've got something to offer. Small micro trainings could be super impactful. It doesn't have to be a very complex, lengthy presentation. Mm -hmm. And don't forget the provider, you know, the, the people who are actually delivering these interventions are people too, and they have, you know, needs to attend to. So don't forget them in your presentations. So powerful. Thank you so much, both of you. This has been a really, you know, really enlightening, very, but, but I think kind of exciting topic of conversation is that, you know, we, you know, I often think about the, the client who comes into the office and we have a session that lasts about 45 or 50 minutes and move on. But there's, there's so many different ways that, that, that folks with expertise in behavioral health and psychological first aid can have that big impact. So really appreciate you sharing your experience with us. Drs. Bill Brim and Andrea Israel from the CDP. Thank you so much for being on. Thank you. It was great to be here. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening to us. We will catch you in the next episode. See you next time. Thanks for listening to Practical for Your Practice. Please feel free to subscribe, rate, and join in on the conversation in the comments. Until next time.